Hey guys, welcome to the Awakening Report. I'm your host, Doug Hamp. It's another great day. You know why it's good? Because God is on the throne. Hey, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening in politics. God is on the throne. It doesn't matter what is happening in medicine or war or you take your pick. Pick your topic. God is on the throne. Don't forget that. All right. And here's some other good news. We know that Satan wants to mess up this world. But guess what? God is on the throne. And he will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. He loves us and he cares about us. And today we're going to talk about Nephilim and the Genesis 6 conspiracy. I've got Gary Wayne waiting in the wings and we're going to get have a great discussion. We are going to take your questions as well. So make sure to put them in the chat. People say, how do I put in questions? Look, you've got to log into your YouTube account. And as you're watching the live stream on YouTube, then on your right-hand side, there's a little chat thing. And just put your question in there. Uh, I ask that you put a cue in front of it. It helps me to see it better. Instead of Sometimes people just ramble. So put a cue in front of it. I know you're asking a question, and we will do our best to get to that. So without further ado, I bring you Gary Wayne. Gary, it's great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me back and uh, very happy to be here with you and to be, you know, anytime you can have a discussion with somebody as knowledgeable as yourself on a subject that I'm absolutely fascinated with, um, <laughs> it's, go it's going to be fun for me. So I'll, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a little bit of fun today, no doubt about it. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Well, we definitely share a, a passion and a love for the topic of uh, Genesis 6, uh, et cetera, right? The, the Nephilim and, and all that stuff. And, you know, it's one of those portions of chapter I, or of scripture that I wish God had put in more than 11 chapters. But yeah. he's all wise, I'm not. So I'm going to have to just say, you know what? He knew what he was doing and we'll, we'll, go, we'll go from there. Yeah, I think, you know, I, and I've said a lot of times that, you know, I find the knowledge on what happened before the flood stingy. And I don't mean that in in a, yeah. you know, a negative way, but I think God gives us enough that we have uh, enough information to look at things and understand things. And, you know, one of the things I like to, you know, remind people of is that, and I'm a significant buff of prophecy and it's really, you know, what my true, what my true passion is, but mm -hmm. and it was kind of what sort of led me to write this book, but what I was going to say is that I don't think that from what I've learned is that you can properly understand the full context of prophecy and the full meaning and anticipate things as to what we're going to need to anticipate things for that are to come unless we understand prehistory. Wow. So much of what yep. prehistory, uh, so much of what's talked about in prophecy, you have to know the prehistory because that's where mm -hmm. the defining context comes from. Right. And without that, you're kind of going a little bit blind and you're a little bit suspect <laughs> to, let's say, people who don't take scripture and use it in a way that's non-manipulative. Well, it's like reading a novel and starting at the very end. Like you can sort of you can learn how it all ends, but you're going to be like, wait, I don't understand why Joe did that. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that he would do that thing because when I, you know, I, I read that, you know, first tiny little chapter, but then I skipped all the other stuff and it's not going to make any sense. And I think that's really what we're talking about is that, you know, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. So we have to go back. We are obliged to go back and to study it. And, uh, you know, speaking of that very thing, I, I, I'm just finishing up Corrupting Image 2 
and uh, I've I've gone back to the very beginning. I've gone back as far as I can possibly go. <laughs> and it's just incredible you know, to understand the story of really what Satan was doing to, you know, dig deep. I went into all kinds of Sumerian and Akkadian stuff and my mind has been blown uh, by what was happening there. And just to kind of trace Satan throughout the ancient Near East and throughout the world, uh, you know, same dude, many names, right? Many different titles, but it's interesting how they all tie together and uh i was able to find the receipts to uh <laughs> to bring it all together that was kind of cool but um really it's just amazing and then you understand oh he hasn't really changed satan's basic plot has been the same and i think that's what what you've really done in genesis 6 is a conspiracy is that you've gone back and say, look this is the same basic story here's what he did back then here's what he's going to do in the future Yep. And I really appreciate that you've gone back and spent so much time digging into those sources because uh, it's super important to do that. Yeah, and just as important, it's the term that you're sort of talking around um, that's in Ecclesiastics, that no nothing is new under the sun. Mm -hmm. So what's happened will happen again. What people understand is this happened many times, not with the final end play of Satan that happens after Revelation 12 in the last three and a half years when he's thrown down to the earth, but through his surrogate's offspring, through the Nephilim mm -hmm. and the Rephaim and those demigod kingdoms where right. they're all trying to raise their throne into heaven, just as mm -hmm. Antichrist will do, as it's talked about in Daniel 8, uh, will we'll try and raise his, his throne to heaven to be like God. They're all repeating the same thing. That's right. when you start to understand, okay, if that's kind of connected, then we've got these things called beast empires that are in Daniel 7 and in, uh -huh. and in Revelation. Yeah. And you understand right. these are beast empires of the offspring of the fallen angels, right. both before and after the flood, that have, were the demigods and there are the royal families all the way down through. And that's what's going to rise again is an extension out of one of those beast empires. So all of a sudden things start to have that bigger context, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's fascinating stuff. So what is your basic take so you had angels that came down or you tell me the sons of god right according to genesis chapter 6 when man began to multiply in the face of the earth they saw that daughters were born to them and the sons of you know sons of god took notice then what what happened what, what's the basic story here well what the basic story is is that before the flood when that happens the first time and you know my most favored position for how giants show up again after the flood even though we don't have a, like a smoking gun verse mm -hmm. um, we get some allusions to it or references to it but they usurp the kingships before the flood just as they do after the flood okay and so in the sixth generation or the generation of noah the days of noah in genesis 9 28 and 29 Jesus uses the same words as in the days of Noah, mm -hmm. which were 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood. So we need to know both sides of that. And Jesus was perfect in his selection of the words, even though we're getting that through the Greek translation out of the New Testament as opposed to the Hebrew out of Gen Genesis. But he would know and he would select the right words. And so not only do they take over all of the governments of the antediluvian world for the most part and encroach into the governments overseeing the Sethites. 
but they also have control of the universal religion. And they're using that to control the people and to lead people away from God, to not give God credit for anything, to degrade God and to honor their pantheon of the gods, which is all coming out of a marriage between the seven sacred sciences, as they like to call it, that we know as the seven liberal uh, sciences and arts today, that marriages with this illicit knowledge that the Book of Enoch likes to talk about that in all around the world where the gods provide information to humankind. This mm. is what's being talked about in Enoch that expands that knowledge to a level that we're probably just coming to right now. So the world is paraded into the first apocalypse by water and we have an apocalypse that's coming by fire, just mm. as Luke likes to connect Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction by fire with the days of Noah uh, mm. in the same narrative to sort of link that from nothing, link that to nothing new is under the sun. So you have the whole world being taken over by these demigods. And one would expect, even though we don't have a record of it, but one would speculate then that you would have had a Nephilim, as in the occult would say, Orion, uh, would be one of the allegorical names for one of those Nephilim, just as you have a constellation by the name of Orion, tried to raise his empire up to heaven, just as I would say Atlas is the king of uh, Atlantis, even though he had nine other partner kings, was trying to do the same thing. Hmm. And then that gets checked by the flood because the whole world becomes corrupt mm -hmm. and i think that includes not more than just the violence more mm -hmm. than just not expecting an apocalypse or being godless which is all part of that days of noah uh sign but a greater meaning as well in terms of the of the knowledge but also the whole earth was corrupt mm. not just violent it was corrupt and that's as you know the hebrew word chikot which means decay, spoiled, mm -hmm. degraded. And I think the whole world in terms of the plant genomes and the DNA in most of the animals were all corrupted, either mm -hmm. through sexual copulations or DNA manipulation, or probably a combination of both. And that's why God called all of the animals to the ark. And a lot mm. of people ask me, well, how do I get there that God called them? Because it, it's written in, in most versions, including the King James Version, that it has Noah did as was commanded him. But he and him, when the animals are called, are inserted by the translators. There's no mm. Hebrew word for that. And I think the term is God called them. And that's how he knew which ones were not affected that would repopulate the earth in the representative species that they required. And so that's why you have well, I mean, it, also, says in, it says in Genesis 7 that God brought the animals. I mean, it is. Yeah. You know, so I mean, <laughs> God brought it. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. And, and again, like, can Bible you imagine Noah chasing little rabbits around? Get back here, you little thing chasing yeah, chickens. Yeah. I mean, it would be forever to do. <laughs> it would take many, many years. Yeah. And what's important is, is one of my you know principles is the Bible can't contradict itself. And that's right. why I point out that those right. pronouns are inserted mm. and you need to look for the rest of the references to it to sort of double check your interpretation of how you're going to understand that because it's got to fit. Right. Yeah. And so when you get into the occult mythos where you have beings and or creatures that are missing and the typical one would be the unicorn, 
mm. right? Um, that's a DNA manipulated or some other way of created offspring that in their legend was, you know, a, a horse big enough to carry a Nephilim warrior king in the battle because it was an animal mm. for war, just as Azazel taught, according to Enoch, all of the tactics of war in the antediluvian epoch, but also has goat hooves and a different kind of tail. I think it's a, a lion tail on it and it's got a beard. It's got, you know, a single horn that was in 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 the mythos had the ability to take down an envelope uh, an elephant and gore its complete stomach out it with one thrust i mean wow. that's why that thing was not called to the ark and mm -hmm. it's also allegorical in their belief system and it's only important that we understand what they believe so and what they're doing with that belief is is that that is also a product the unicorn of some sort of angelic being Right? No, that's the REM the, you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's the REM, yes. You know? as it would be yeah. translated yeah. Uh, out of yeah, Hebrew. The, Could yeah. it be just like maybe, um, I don't know, a, a rhinoceros? Don't they have like one? Sure, because sure, REM is a wild bull or an ox by right. definition. So, out of, yeah, so yeah. not the horse. Right. right? It's, not, it's not the, the Disney unicorn that we think about, right? Where it no, flies and has magic dust. And so unicorn is a mis I think a mistranslation again into the King James Version Bible, although it does mean one horn, it's mm -hmm. there and you could use it to represent a rem or a rhinoceros in this case, a single horn bull or ox. But the implication is is it's a horse as we're taught in day-to-day -day, uh, mythology and movies and entertainment. And it's the symbol that associates the uh, Scottish crown, which had two unicorns, and then switches when King James, who's the sponsor of the King James Version Bible, uh, takes over uh, the English throne, and then it turns to a lion, uh, which was part of the English uh, coat of arms, and there's one unicorn. And so that those are allegories for their genealogies and their history, and a lion would be, you know, like a lion god, like uh, Nergal or Mahis or a god like that, mm. uh, you know, on the female side, Bass, but uh, this is, you know, looks like a male lion to me, mm. and just mm. as a dragon would be a seraphim angel that uh, would also be in a number of English and other coat of arms representing, again, their genealogies back to mm. the angels who produced the original offspring, as they would believe. So, those types of things that show up in the Bible that don't look like they should fit are, are inserted. And that's why I think you need to go back to Hebrew and Greek in a lot of cases, but you can't, and because Hebrew and Greek has so many different meanings, you want to be careful that you select the right meaning for the right passage and it doesn't conflict with other passages that you're going to have to do the same translation with from the same words because they have multiple meanings, uh, which is one of the things you need to be careful with. But getting back to the idea of the unicorn is, is, I mean, that is occult as you can get. And mm -hmm. they get that from uh, an, an association that they like to make with the little horn out of Daniel 7 and Daniel mm -hmm. 8 and being mm -hmm. the Antichrist. And right. that horn is an allegory for them for uh, an antenna or the third eye. Interesting. Yeah. Now, when you say they, who, who are you talking about here? Occultists, Gnostics, polytheists, okay. mostly the Western, but you'll get okay. similar accountings in Eastern mysticism. So the unicorn is part of Eastern mysticism, and okay. for sure it becomes an allegory of, of the third eye uh, in one of the, I think, the seven or ten chakras, or I can't remember whether it's seven or ten, but 
that's where that comes out of in terms of Eastern mysticism. And what would be the sources that you're using to discover some of these things? Well, you have to uh, get into the, first of all, you have to get into their scriptures. So you've got to read all about Gnostic scriptures and you've got to read about Vedas and up and shads and, and things like that. And then you need to understand how that sort of transcends into doctrines that they promote today. So they've got uh, many, many authors out there that like to bring those things into that new age movement. And you see mm -hmm. that reflected in a lot of the modern new age movement. And then you can okay. track that back to okay. the gospels and things that they're getting back. So it, it takes a lot of work. But they talk in that type of imagery all of the time. And you have mm -hmm. to understand the language they're talking so you know what they're really talking about. Hmm. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the first incursion and the second incursion. This is one of these topics that, that always yeah. comes up. I'm a second incursion guy, just so you know. <laughs> but uh, And just so that our, our audience understands, uh, there's this kind of a running debate uh, as to how we had Nephilim after the flood. All right, so uh, the, the text is fairly clear that before the flood, you had the sons of God came down and they took women and they made it and created the Nephilim, right? But yeah. then it begs the question, you know, how did they get there afterward when the children of Israel went into the land of Israel, into Canaan, and they found all these Raphaim, the yeah. uh, the Amorim, the, the Nephilim, et cetera. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I... I the first place where I kind of start on that is right in Genesis, you know, 6, 4, mm -hmm. um, when the sons of God went to the daughters of women and then did again afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we don't know when afterwards occurs. I think it's probably both before the flood and then again after the flood. So I think you mm -hmm. have several creations of different kinds of Nephilim before the flood. And magically, they show up after the flood. So you're left with, you know, somehow on the ark, and there's a number of different buckets within that. And so, or they survived either on another ark, like in the epic, epic of Gilgamesh and up, up Pishtun and Orziah Zudur, depending on which translation that you're reading from. And those are all Nephilim because they're two thirds God and one third human, the whole family is. So mm -hmm. it's uh, either a parallel story from a polytheist side or it is. Um, a manufactured uh, mythology based on based on Genesis. I'll let people decide what they what they want on that. So somehow in the ark or with angels help. So in the earth, off the earth, a whole bunch of things within that bucket. And but the one that fits best with me, which fits best with scripture, is in a second second incursion. Except that Genesis six four doesn't really give us all of what we need. But the first clue starts to point towards uh, the Reference to Nephil and Nephilim is the is the male plural uh, of Nephil, uh, which is a tribe of giants, and you get that in Numbers thirteen thirty three. So mm -hmm. you got Nephilim or giants in Nephilim in Genesis six, and then two times for giants in Numbers thirteen thirty three. And the Anakim mm -hmm. are the children of the giants, right. the sons of the giants, which are the Nephilim, and that's part of right. the exaggerated report. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's important to understand because they're trying to scare the Israelites, but in the original details of the report, you get Sheshai, Talmai, and Ahiman as the three kings of the Anakim. Hmm. And then you have the people that are taller, which are the hybrids, or the offspring of giants with human females 
afterwards, which aren't quite as tall as the Raphaim kings. Now, when you and say the original, where, where are you getting this? What's your source for this? Uh, for, for, for the... Score for the the names of these kings that you just listed well numbers 1333 numbers 13 okay. not 33 but you go a little bit further back in the detail okay and then you look okay. at deuteronomy 1 okay and that's 40 years later and after the israel has been in the desert for 40 years moses is reciting what happened at that time and he's basically saying that you know the three kings are there or the uh the uh, Anakim are there. There's people taller and mightier than them. Those are the Amalekites, the mm. uh, Canaanites, uh, the Jebusites, and basically the, the non-patriarchal families in Genesis 10. And that uh, the story is correct. So then you have to look at that reference to the giants with the Anakim as the Nephilim as being something to scare people. So Anakim in Deuteronomy 2, 32, or not 32, in Deuteronomy 2, um, goes back to, as a description a couple of times, that the Anakim were giants, and giants is the word Rapha, and again, I am for the, for the male plural, just as the Emin are, and the Zamzuzim, and so you have these Raphaim tribes with different vernacular names that the Anakim are, and you have uh, sort of a conflict, if you don't sort of wrestle that, with numbers 1333 with that exaggerated report i think what's going on there is that the spies who don't want to go in and take on these giants and the hybrid giants are just trying to scare people of israel so they're using nephilim from before the flood which testifies oh, okay. to the veracity of okay. The giants before the flood, but these are Raphaim after the flood. We don't get Nephilim used after the flood at all, except mm. for the, those two cases. So, okay. who are the Raphaim? I got gotcha. you. And Raphaim isn't mentioned in Genesis 6, although if you think that they survived the flood and you've got Nephilim or Raphaim before the flood, but there's something different, something a little bit different, maybe not as powerful, maybe not as strong, don't live as long. There's something mm -hmm. different amongst those Raphaim nations. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started to think about, okay, so how does that then connect with what we understand in the Sodom narrative, which is, again, used over and over and over as a as reference for allegory throughout prophecy. And you have these two men who are angels, after they're if they've they, after they've left Abraham and they're going to Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot is, and th the people there understand that these are angels even though they look like men and they want to have sex with them they want to know them, mm -hmm. and that makes sense if you understand that uh, they understood that giants were created from the offspring of angels. So they would have either were wanting to have homosexual sex or they were going to expect them to change their gender with a changeling capability um, to have sex. But clearly they understood you could have sex with angels. And that's important to understand is because as you get that back to Jude 1.6 again, Mm -hmm. And it's referencing the mm -hmm. sins of the angels and this conversation and what's going on with uh, them wanting to have uh, uh, this this awful conversation that with 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 uh, uh, the angels that that goes back to the Greek word 
for um, for strange frets as being something different, something mm. uh, uh, a different species, as the Greek word, as I recall, means. So they yeah. clearly Edgar, understood. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. they clearly understood they were going to have sex with a different being. Mm -hmm. And probably because Sodom and Gomorrah is part of the Canaanite kingdoms that would have had a Rephaim king with them. Just as in Genesis 14, you have the war of the giants, the, mm -hmm. the Mesopotamian giants coming into the Middle East giants, that right. those five kings are listed amongst the giants that are in this giant war as with many of the other giant nations. So I know that's a kind of a long answer, but everything <laughs> just sort of keeps pointing to a second yeah. incursion. Yes. And, it yes. and it doesn't contradict anything with the Bible. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, do you feel that, that uh, Nimrod is a key? Because it says that he became a gibor. And as you know, yes. in the Greek, it says that he became a gigas, right? So he became a giant. Yeah. And uh, everything that I've researched is like, yeah, this guy was not human to start with. And what's amazing is that his his um, his uh, Akkadian name, his Mesopotamian name, is Ninurta, which is Lord of the Earth. He was known as the son of Enlil, which is Satan. So, and, and there's this incredible syncretism between them, right? Everything that that Ninurta can do comes from Satan, comes from Enlil. Uh, so I, I'm curious what you think about that. And there's so many epithets that go with it. He's yeah. also known as the, uh, the healer. So he's the Rafa, right? The, the great Rafa, etc. But tell me your yeah, and, and, and he could be the uh, king of, en, king of, uh, of Uruk or Ur, um, mm -hmm. who is yeah. Enmerakar, right? Cause he's uh, third generation just as right. Nimrod is. And he, and in that, uh, series of legends about Enmerakar, he mm -hmm. actually builds a Babel-like tower. So you've got a couple of sources where you can take each of those back to. And I think they're running sort of parallel accounts of the same type of individual. But the question was about Nimrod and how does he become Gibor or Gibberim? And that word began, you know, when you, when, again, when you look at that, taking that back into Hebrew, it actually means to like break your vow, break your word, break your um, bind with, and I think that's with God. And so we also know Nimrod is son of, uh, uh, you know, has a human father as the son of Cush, right? So mm -hmm. typically we have Nephilim being the offspring and Raphaim being the offspring of a male angel with a human female. Mm -hmm. which is, again, the typical description as a demigod coming out of ancientology, meaning the offspring of a god and a human female, mm -hmm. which produced the, the heroes in, in Greek mythology, which, which were the giants. So something changes. He's born mm -hmm. from, uh, from a human male, yep. um, but we don't know whether or not the mother was possibly Raphaim. We're not Interesting. Told who the mother is. So that's a possibility. Yeah. He says Tina yeah. would be a Horim who married uh, Eliphaz to produce Amalek, right? Uh -huh. So you have, you know, there's some females, whether or not they're hybrids or they're purebreds, we're not really told. And again, we get very stingy information there. But what we do know is <laughs> yeah. he has a patriarch, Nimrod does, uh -huh. as opposed to um, most of the other 
Raphaim, they don't have a patriarch that's listed in the Bible, just as mm. the hybrid nations don't have a patriarch in Genesis 10 with uh, the Canaanites other than Seth and, uh, or not Seth, um, Heth and Sidon, who are the, the sons. The rest are families mm -hmm. or species. And I think those patriarchs would have been Raphaim, and that's why they're not listed. And so the only patriarch we get for any of the Raphaim branches would be Arba. And he's said to be the father of the, of the Anak. Um, but he's not in the table of nations either. So all of the nations that start, yeah. you know, have a male patriarch and Nimrod has a male patriarch. So does the knowledge that he's dipping into, as the cultists would believe, uh, allow him to uh, change his anatomy? Or does he just take on the strut of mm. a Raphaim? Right. We don't right. know, but he certainly makes a reputation as a warrior, as a hunter, like a Raphaim does and a Nephilim right. does. It's a bit of a mystery, but I sort of lean on, he somehow changes, whether or not that's just spiritually or there's some help that you know increases his power and knowledge. Scripturally, we don't get that, so it's a bit of a mystery. But I do not believe he was created Raphaim. He was, he was created. I, I, as the I agree with you. He was not created Raphaim. Yeah. Uh, I actually make the case in my my new book that he he became uh, a uh, a Raphaim. Uh, and there's lots of little details that go into that <laughs> conclusion, but uh, it, it's just amazing. It's fascinating stuff. Um, in fact, something that blew my mind about a year ago, there was a guy named Chris out of Reno, Nevada that was a bone marrow transplant uh, a recipient okay and he got this bone marrow from a donor from germany who um well they they jen checked chris's dna it's about three months later and they discovered that in his sperm it was no longer his dna it was actually that of his donor so you know i i find that it's just astounding that your his this guy's DNA could change. I mean, Chris is still Chris, but if he were to sire children at this point, they would not be his. It's really yeah. crazy. And what's interesting, and for context only, because again, we don't get scripture on this, the occultists and particularly the Gnostics and, and the Masonic societies have a history of all of this, and it includes uh, Babel. And their story in the legend of the Tower of Babel and the legend of Nimrod and several other of their polychronicon uh, myths that are part of their history, they believe that Hermes finds what is known in their legends as the pillars of Lamech and the pillars of Enoch, probably the pillars of Lamech because they were around later as in, from the lineage of Cain at the time of the flood. And on those pillars was the location of this knowledge base that was developed before the flood and the location of that knowledge and understand that the knowledge is based in that Gnosis cult, that knowledge cult, which is the mystical religions, which I believe was Enochian mysticism. And he finds those pillars under the pyramids in Egypt and takes that back to Nimrod and partners with Nimrod. So he provides that antediluvian religion to Nimrod and provides the knowledge. So if we're wondering how he would have the ability to manipulate his DNA, that's either going to come from the angels or from this additional knowledge or both. 
And I think all of that has to do with the transformation mm -hmm. of Nimrod, because he's yeah. also going to be intermarrying going forward in their belief systems with the Raphaim kings. And, you know, mm -hmm. some of the kings that are listed in Genesis 14 coming out of the east. And that's going to be sort of that union of uh, scioning of that human blood with the Raphaim blood that's going to pollinate a lot of the dynasties around the world. We know it's interesting that those kings in Genesis chapter 14 are generally known as Amorites, right? We know that they're broken down into Zamzumim, et cetera. But the, the big term is Amorite, which uh, looking at Sumerian, uh, uh, or in the Akkadian Amuru, it means uh, Westerner. But the god of the Amorites it's crazy. His name was Martu, okay? Martu, right? And those, of course, are the same letters as Nimrod, same letters as Ninurta, same letters as Marduk. I mean, you keep seeing this MRD equivalency. You keep seeing this throughout the literature. And what's even more mind-blowing is that the, the Sumerian logogram, the, the symbol that wasn't usually pronounced, but it was written, for Martu was exactly the same as Enlil. So we, we start, start seeing this, this equivalency between these different gods. And I really believe that, that the origin of the Amorites probably came from Nimrod, which came from Satan. But um, there's amazing stuff in there. There's, there's, there's certainly something going back and forth, just as you get Baal and Hadu and Hadad all mm -hmm. being the same sort of God that's moving around that area. But Amorites scripturally are one of those families in Genesis 10 from the Canaanites. Mm -hmm. So yep. and also typically uh, the understanding in terms, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a tribe of Amorim, right? Doesn't mean that just, but the hybrids that we know um, who don't have a patriarch, which was likely a Raphaim patriarch. And who knows, it may have been the, uh, a Raphaim or the Amorim, and we don't get anything in the scripture about it, but they would have had to have a, have a patriarch, is my point. And typically it's the Raphaim that are the kings over the Canaanite tribes and the family of the tribes. So an example of that would be King Og, who's the last of the Raphaim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, probably the original Raphaim created after the, after the flood, because there's obviously, after he's killed, there's more Raphaim in, in the Middle East. And Goliath is, is called a giant, which goes back to Rapha as well. So mm -hmm. one presumes that that's the same sort of generation after generation of, of these beings. And Sihon and Og were the king of the Amorites. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. typically that's what was going on as the kings. So you would also then transpose that as another example and marry it up with, you know, Sheshai Ahi, and Ahiman and Talmai that mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, that they would have been kings over those nations because they were Anakim, which are Raphaim. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. We've got a ton of questions from people. Uh, so we better get to those or we're going to run out of time. Uh, are you good with questions? Are we? I love questions. All right. Fantastic. All right. This is coming to us from Keith uh, Davis. If Yah destroyed his ridiculously amazing creation of his own image to clean the gene pool of Nephilim DNA, why could we ever believe he allowed it to happen again? Stumped here. What are your thoughts? 
Well, that's the amazing thing. And, you know, Doug and I were talking about how good God is and, uh, and he's, he's on, on the throne. And that's important to understand that he loves us so much that he allows free choice. And there's a time of free choice. And so when you understand that there's a book of life that was created before creation, and those are the names that are in the book that are going to be played, going to be raised in the future time into eternity and immortality, that those names need to be um, fulfilled. And so there's a time period to let that play out. And there's also a resolution to the angelic rebellion, which everything is tied into, just as these giants are created as part and an extension of the rebellion and to assure humankind isn't going to be raised up like angels after the resurrection, which they didn't anticipate as Corinthian talks about, otherwise they wouldn't have crucified them. Um, they're what we're trying to destroy humankind and since the resurrection, trying to destroy as many as they can because they know they're going to the lake of fire. So what happens is that angels, even though they were created immortal, they still had a choice to accept God or not. Mm -hmm. And many chose not to. Mm -hmm. And humankind was created to, in part, to resolve this scenario with the angelic beings who had immortality first and they had all the intimate knowledge you can imagine of God but still rebelled. We don't get very much knowledge but we're, we're required to choose on a little bit of knowledge and on faith uh, in God and in Jesus so that we would be raised in, into eternity and adopted by Jesus. So what's going on here to, to bring this full circle is that Free choice was allowed to play during the angelic rebellion. Free choice was allowed to play out after or before the flood. And free choice, even with angels who aren't in, weren't in the abyss uh, for the crimes, was allowed to play out after the flood. And this is allowed until the end of the end time. Mm -hmm. So that all the numbers of the Gentiles can be fulfilled. All the names of the Book of Life can be fulfilled. And he's allowing us to choose all the way through, choose God or not, and to create as many beings as possible, but he can't force us to choose. And that's mm -hmm. why he allows the free choice to play out, but he's greater than free choice. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because free choice is absolutely critical. Uh, the only way you can have real love is if people can truly choose. And the only way to choose is if you let people self-determine. I mean, God, by definition, cannot make us choose right i mean that's the whole point exactly choosing. so he so right. he allowed the what fallen angels weren't in the abyss and whatever demons aren't into the abyss to influence the world and influence humankind to let them choose or not choose mm -hmm. them as gods or choose god as the god and let this fulfill throughout after the flood it was to give a restart because the whole world has been corrupted mm. and at Babel that we talked about earlier, all of this was under the power of one antichrist archetype type figure mm. and yeah, one okay. mystical religion, which is the allegory for the end time. And mm. that it was going to uh, very quickly become what happened before the flood. And this is within a hundred years of the flood, after mm. the flood. So 
the, the, the languages and the people are, are created, the people dispersed, and they're not able to communicate. And that's only coming back with technology where we're starting to speak one language, so mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah. Uh, and we'll be one people under one Antichrist true figure and one uh, mystical universal religion. And so that free choice has been going on ever since. And God is allowing that to play out because he wants all of the beings that names who weren't going to be erased from the book of life to be fulfilled. So everybody has their name in the book of life that's been created. But if you don't choose, that gets erased out. Don't want to do that. All right. This is another question from uh, Dashulamite. What do you think about the teaching that has all souls passing through the flesh in this earth age since the overthrow of the first earth age, fallen angels also in the flesh except for the worst? Yeah, I'm not sure I understand that question. I think it might be referring to, um, there's a, a number of people I've heard talk about angels uh, who are the fallen ones are getting a second chance in human bodies. So I think mm -hmm. that's the reference to the first age between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Okay. Uh, we don't get any scripture for any of that. Um, and uh, angels have their own uh, path to follow, so to speak, in terms of mm -hmm. when they receive their immortality and their loyalties. And so I don't think it has sort of anything to do with that. So unless I've misunderstood the question, maybe the person may want to repost that um, because it's talking a lot about the souls being passed between, as I understood it with the question, and I can't see it up there right now, but um, that's almost sounds like reincarnation. If I understood, let's read that again. Yeah. So what do you think about the teaching that has all souls passing through the flesh in, the, in this earth age since the overthrow of the first earth age. Yeah, so if it's not the angels, then that's a re reincarnation spirit or in a new age or a Gnostic doctrine on their evolution to, to godhood. And that is strictly, you know, coming from demigod doctrine uh, prehistory mm -hmm. because we go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well and... <laughs> Evil spirits, which I think are, you know, certainly a, a great number of, um, number of them are Nephilim and Raphaim spirits. And as you trace mm -hmm. evil spirits and uh, through, through, throughout the, the meanings in, in the Bible, I think those are the bodiless spirits. Of she, um, she has a follow-up here. The teaching has us in the second earth age now, the first earth age being in the beginning prior to the garden. E, okay, prior to the garden. Okay, yeah. well, typically there's not an age there, although you could have a thousand years, but you would have an age that you could make with the gap theory and the renewal of the earth afterwards. I, you can make that case. Um, and that's when, I, you know, it would be a good place for the angelic rebellion. Uh, so I wouldn't say that there's a second age between Genesis uh one and two between day six and seven or even day eight even if it is it's a very small age and i'm not sure it's really big enough to hit that threshold of an epoch or an age uh so and just to finish what i was talking about earlier it's the demons yep. who are possessing people that are imitating this uh 
uh, evolution of the spirit into godhood. They're just trying to have a body to become a demigod again. That's where that whole doctrine mm. comes from. So, mm -hmm. um, and angels don't tend to do that. I mean, you do get angels like Satan entering into a body, but they they don't have they don't require uh, a body to engage in the word in the world. They have the ability to do that themselves, right? So that has nothing to do with that avatar effect that the new uh, the, the new age has to you know likes to talk about so again i'm not sure we answered her question but i'm not sure uh, i know exactly what she's she's yeah. talking about yeah sorry about that um the shulamite we're not quite sure but we gave it our best <laughs> yeah okay this is from shemin how could a person born human at the time modify their biological nature and become a nephilim or a giant so well, you, yeah yeah you have to you would have to uh modify your dna yeah right absolutely you have to have something yeah. with the genes which is the gene of isis that they're that they like to take their belief system back to um which you know is the spark of the divine or the thousand points of light that comes out in occult imagery and or would manufacture that rh negative blood because rh negative is missing the antigen so it's not really inserted so if that is the bloodline um, yeah, I, a lot I think, of the royals have it, then it would right. be a gene that would be required to manufacture that, and that's what would have to be inserted. Right. So we're talking about information, right? We're talking about the insertion of information. Yes. How that information gets inserted is a, a tough question. Uh, we do know, and this is something I really haven't wanted to, del to delve into too much because it's very dark, but in the occult world, uh, you do have obviously some various rituals and whatnot where you can summon demons and, uh, you know, through blood rituals and whatnot. And so there, there is a way, and I just don't really want to go into it too much because I think it's incredibly uh, depressing <laughs> and dark yeah. and dangerous. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I would, but, and I would you know. say we're also on the precipice uh, yeah. with human knowledge to... Yeah. right do that, to change that DNA. Well, and this guy that I talked about with Chris from Reno, Nevada, I that I think is um, is an example of what can happen, that you just, you have to have some kind of insertion. We don't know how that could happen, but you know, it could happen. It's, it's, the, new, it's the new man concept, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And just as the Nazis were trying to develop that and they took their Arisophical uh, religion, uh, back to Thule, which is kind of an ancient uh, Atlantis. They believe that um, through real uh, ideology and all the other ideologies that they overlaid onto theosophy is that um, they, they actually are part of the same race of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed giants, which would be part of the Tuatha de Danann, both before and after the flood. So, mm -hmm. um, and they believe in that new man theory that they're trying to develop that new Nephilim from the existing man to become like they were of old. So it's that same thing that they're trying to do metaphorically in the new age of this harmonic conversion under world government and universal religion. So you can vibrate or evolve into a demigod in the physical world like the ancient Nephilim was. This is all about Nephilim and Raphaim. It has nothing to do with humans. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not good stuff. Uh, another good question. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, another question from Keith. Um, something is critically missing here. Are we certain that gene pool cleansing was the purpose of the flood? 
It's a great question. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's I think it's part of it. Um, it's not everything. I mean, we have to remember the whole world was corrupted, and how big you want to take that uh, meaning is 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 the real key. Um, but it was certainly part of that, as with a restart, to again allow this to play out again. And what it does in the process of this free choice and replay out is it totally convicts the angelic realm for the crimes they've committed through humanity or against humanity. And I think that's why in the future time we're going to be judging angels. Fascinating stuff here. Yeah, fascinating. I'm just looking for that next question. Um, um, what do you, maybe you just, this is kind of out there, but some people are suggesting that the vaccine that could be coming uh, for COVID or whatever you want to call it, that it is, it's related to the mark of the beast or something like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? You don't have to if you don't want to, but if you have any perspective, I, I think it'd be great to hear it. Well, I mean, biblically, what we do know is it's related to part of the birth pangs in mm. terms of if we're in the end time and this is the fig tree generation. And I do think we are in the fig tree generation, whether or not that's 120 years as Genesis 6, 3 sort of identifies or in the Psalms of seven years. We don't know exactly how long it is. So for sure, it would have to do with the pestilences that are going to be sort of increasing and likely increasing with intensity as you understand the birth pang sort of um, allegory that it's listed in. That's also part of famine and earthquakes, wars and ru rumors of war, which is all those, also the same disasters that are in the seal openings and in the um, the trumpet blasts. So you have this increasing intensity of these things getting stronger and probably more often or, or, or you know, shorter between. So we do know that. What we also know is, is that the coronavirus is unique in terms of how it targets things and uh, how many different organs that, that it targets. And there's, we'll see what happens, whether or not it's natural or it's been modified, it got out of control or it was targeted at, at, uh, at the population. What it does do is open up avenues and doors that weren't there before or would have taken much longer to open up. So now you have an ability to distribute vaccines in a way that people are going to be rushing to do. And if there's more pandemics, even more so, and they're going to want to be more efficient in that distribution of those vaccines down the road. And as they marry that up with AI, uh, and other technology, they're going to want to be banking all of your knowledge to give you the best health. And so in return for that, I think this all leads into that beast system, which becomes an implant in either your forehead or in your uh, right hand. And it's interesting that the unicorn has that antenna, you know, as the third eye in the occult allegory. I don't know whether there's any connections there or not, but it's an interesting thought. Uh, certainly they might believe that, but you have this merging of technology with catastrophes, which always is going to be part of, or shouldn't, should, should, I probably overstated that, which is part of what we think is going to happen for, you know, the last, you know, 
couple of decades in the end time, and certainly as you get into the mark of the beast. So I think it introduces the ability to ultimately put in the mark of the beast, but I don't think a virus is the beast because you have to ask for uh, the mark of the beast or you can refuse it. So again, I like to stay close to what scripture says and then match mm -hmm. things up as opposed to try and force something into it. So I think it's still an evolving thing and I think it's part of it. That's part of the birth pangs and it's going to be part of the catastrophes that leads to the mark of the beast where everything starts to come together. That was a very eloquent answer and I, uh, I, I agree with you that it could be one of those stepping stones, but this in and of itself is probably not the thing, right? There has probably to be. Probably not. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a whole lot more um, that, that goes into it. But uh, yeah, we could probably talk a long time about that. Orlando has a question. He says, will the Rephaim that Isaiah talks about come back as spirit or body? Or will there be or will they be a spirit that will inhabit and take over a body? Hmm. Yeah, I, th I think it's a very, very good question. So. When Jesus talks about these evil spirits, as opposed to things like satyrs and things like that, but just evil spirit and, and the term spirit, that they are in dry places. It's like they're thirsting for a body. Mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. if those are the spirits that aren't angelic uh, spiritual beings, if these are the bottom layer, bottom tier of the uh, and rebellious angelic hierarchy and the offspring, then as the technology develops within our uh, our generation and they have the ability to clone and or create robots and all sorts of hybrids in between, this allows them to have a body that they can enter into and have a dwelling place for their spirit so that they can interact with the world. Typically in a possession, as opposed to the avatar effect, which is an angelic relationship, just as Satan enters Judas to help him get over the hump to betray Jesus, you have uh, in the occult religions, let's say Vishnu and Buddha, where he is part of Buddha, but it's a symbiotic relationship and he gives power. Um, and maybe that's what happens with Antichrist in, in the end time with an angelic being. But the demon spirits, they suppress the host. It's a violent, non-symbiotic relationship that doesn't turn out well for the host. I think these demon spirits require some sort of body to interact with the earth that they're not going to have the pushback of the host so that it becomes they're in total control and they're not in this internal war to suppress the host. So I think those are the bodies that those demon spirits are going to be looking for and why they're helping along with fallen angels to ramp up the technology at an accelerated pace that we've not seen before so that these demon spirits not only the ones that aren't in the abyss, but the Raphaim spirits that are in the Nephilim spirits that are in the sides of the abyss, as Ezekiel 31 and 32 and a few other chapters uh, references to the terrible ones and the branches of the terrible ones. I'm going down a rabbit tail, so I'll get back on focus. They're, they're going to want to interact um, in the earth. So, so I think that's what they're having humankind do is develop these bodies, these clone bodies that they're going to be able to inhabit. Mm -hmm. 
Clone bodies, I think that is really a fitting description of what they're looking for. Um, I, I would agree. Um, I see a little different nuance between angels and demons, but yep. uh, that, that can wait. <laughs> so it's always a fun discussion, always a fun discussion. Well, that's great. Uh, this is a question here by Anthony. Do you think that the QAnon movement is to indoctrinate people into the world order that is masked behind the light side white brotherhood ideology? Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, it's. I would say the first thing is is that you want everybody wants to be very very careful of all of these different types of organizations that are working in the shadows and, and mm -hmm. in secrecy. Uh, mm -hmm. That is like a cabal or that's like a secret society and those are typically not Christian. I understand it, it, when you understand polytheist religion, it's a dualist religion. And that's where you have a couple different levels of it, but the overarching one is, is you have perpetual war going on between the forces of good, the forces of evil, nobody ever wins, as opposed to monotheism where we know who wins and who, who are the evil ones. Um, but lower down you have black magic and white magic. You have white witches, you have black witches, you have good Nephilim like Hercules and you have bad Nephilim. And so you have that sort of uh, lower level of dualism that's uh, being applied there as, you know, as well as you understand uh, how they think. So I think um, when we apply that to the question, that's how we need to sort of look at it, is that there's always that uh, battle that's going on. And they're just the same side to the, the different side of the same coin, so to speak. So that if you have uh, polytheist forces that are saying they're good and they're fighting these ones that they say are evil, but they're all directionally trying to bring about world government uh, and the universal religion, and they still worship the pantheon of gods, they're still both evil. <laughs> and so yeah. we want to be careful of that. We don't get sucked into that just because mm. Uh, one side is opposing the other side. On on the spurious forces side, it's all about power, and there can only be one ruling dynastic family yeah. that's going to have Antichrist as that king in that dynasty that wins out. It's like the Highlander series. There can only be one. <laughs> that's right. Okay? So they're going to bash right. each other yeah. for, for control. So we have to be very, very careful and mm -hmm. analyze what they say and what they do yeah, and 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 when I look at this, this this QAnon, they seem to be just moving the world directionally for world government and universal religion, just with different leaders. Wow, that's powerful. You know, I I I think this really touches on the uh, Hegelian dialectic, right? That we have the thesis, the antithesis, and then we have the synthesis. And, and this is where I think as, as believers, as followers of, of Christ, we want to be very, very careful that we don't start rooting, you know, totally for one side or the other. It's not that they're all equal, but we just need to be very careful because like you said, they're, they're two side, two sides of the same coin. And, uh, you know, our side might look better than the other side, but they're both the same coin. And, and, it really can be very distracting if we are not careful. Yeah, and, and we get locked into uh, 
media brainwashing. So we have to be mm. very, very careful. You know, you look at uh, Putin, for example, mm -hmm. and uh, it's not that he's against the new world order. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He just wants a bigger role in it. <laughs> he just wants to be the king. <laughs> he wants, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, president yeah. of China, um, same thing. Yeah. And if you look right. at what President Trump does, and I know he's been very good for Christians, but again, I always try and look at the direction and I, and I hold my decisions based on what I see, is mm -hmm. he's not necessarily against the New World Order. Uh -huh. He just wants a bigger role for uh -huh. America. Well uh, said. And, and if you look at some of the things that he's doing and how he's moving along the Middle East peace process, I mean... Um, significant different approach, but between that, as you start to set up the alliances for some of the end time battles, that's required, mm -hmm. and the recognition of Jerusalem mm -hmm. is a requisite as well. So you see that sort of directionally moving, and he's still doing deals. He was doing deals with the world. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, I like a lot of things President Trump has done, but. I still have to look at what direction are, are they moving? Are they moving towards Babel or away from Babel? Wow. I like the way you think. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, it's refreshing. You don't, don't find that very often. But I appreciate your scholarship. I really do. Uh, I think we cannot, um, you know, understate. We cannot overstate this, right, that, that we really have to be very, very careful and circumspect. Uh, especially as teachers of the Bible, we're going to get judged harshly uh, by what we say. And so we have to go back. What do the sources say? Right? That is always the question. What do the sources say? And I appreciate that you've done your homework. So that's fantastic. Well, and I think we have to be fair arbitrators. And um, and I, I look at myself more of a researcher. And I like mm -hmm. to make sure that I analyze things from a contrarian perspective, and I, I want to verify it, and I want to be as, as objective as, as I can. And I, and I scrutinize the Bible in the same way, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I find it very consistent, like perfectly <laughs> consistent. All and right. then I look at what's going on in the world today, and I say, okay, we know what at the end is supposed to look like. We don't know all of the steps to get there and all the different right. things, but mm -hmm. what's moving us in that direction? Yep. Well said. This is from uh, Kevin Rice, Sr. Could the deadly wound be a system of government? Uh, could it be to a system of government? Well, I think I certainly think it leads to a, a different system in government. It leads to the transition from the 10 king end time empire that's dominated by the universal religion. And those 10 kings are going to hand their power over to Antichrist, as Revelation 17 says, and they destroy uh, the universal religion. So you have that transition. And I think that mortal wound is part of his credentials as falsifying himself as the Messiah, just as he's going to need a counterfeit for everything. So that's like a counterfeit resurrection that would go with a counterfeit Armageddon, counterfeit miracles, mm. so on and so forth, because they don't create anything new. They create only counterfeits just like, and, then, and I think we started the show off with, with, with this, is that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And Satan in Isaiah 14 wanted to raise his throne into heaven and be like God. Didn't say he was going to defeat God. Right. He said he wanted to be like God and have his right. own realm 
like God. So he was, I, as I extrapolate on that, and this is my, you know, speculation is, is he was trying to create another realm for where the fallen angels would live and whatever type of creatures they wanted to create thereafter. And so we have and to remember he's basically, that. He's basically accomplished that, right? I mean, yes. he, he got earth and then God took heaven, right? But Satan took earth. We know that Jesus came to purchase it back and he did mm -hmm. that. But Satan was rather successful for, you know, thousands of years. And yep. uh, Jesus is going to come and give him the yep. boot one of these days. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 they got a lease for a certain period. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> I use the same idea, the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. If you look at that movie, Doctor Strange, and they like to put their belief systems uh, in their entertainment and their literature, but right. it really sort of represents it so that all of these forces that are using all of these Eastern religions and all of this magic and power, they are trying to create a zone, an earth zone that is separate from this evil God that controls the whole universe, which is their view of the God of the Bible. That's what they're trying to win. That's what they're going to try and sell people in the end time, that mm. you can fight against God Mm -hmm. You can't destroy them because they're in perpetual conflict, but we're equal to them. And we can uh, win our freedom if you join us. And we can have our own Earth and maybe some other planets and live away from God. That's what they're going to be selling. So I don't think the wound is a change of government. I think it is part of the credential and falsifications of the ascending and rising Antichrist who takes power shortly thereafter and crowns himself uh, king in the temple. Wow. <laughs> All I can say is wow to that. That's just, that's, that's awesome stuff. Um, I, I think you said it really well that, you know, Satan is going to, or and has already been operating on this idea of dualism, that he is equal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That's what he wants yes. people to believe. And yes. if you can believe that, right, then you're like, look, you know, I'm not the only guy around, all right? I'm powerful, yep. but there's another one who's just like me, but he's yep. not as nice as me, you know? Yes. So hang out with me, take my plan, and yeah. we'll defeat him together, or at least keep him at bay. Right? Yeah, we can all do that. Because all he's going to do is oppress you in right. slavery and no knowledge, and we'll give right. you all of this freedoms and stuff like that. Right. And so to make that also plausible, they have to accelerate our technology and our knowledge mm. so that we can create weapons and fight alongside of them and buy into the delusion that you that we can win if we want to rebel with them to win that battle and win that realm and so that technology has to accelerate to do that and that's when all of a sudden you start looking at revelation 9 and say those creatures that are described in that 200 million man war which I think will be the counterfeit Armageddon mm. that Antichrist takes credit for winning. I think that's mm. the same battle as Joel 1 and 2, and 3 and okay. 4 are the Armageddon battle. And you have those same type of creatures and things almost described the same uh, with the locust army of Joel 1 and 2. And I think that's also the Gog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39, because we know two things about uh, that is Ezekiel 38 tells us it happens in the latter times. And 39, uh, there's the second exodus as you get past the destruction of the army. And yeah. second exodus, is, I believe, in terms of my understanding, is going to happen in the last three and a half years. So that happens after the Gog battle. And exodus happens after the... Uh, uh, 
I lost my train of thought. The, the Exodus happens after the Gog battle and Antichrist is crowned after the uh, Gog war. So I think that mm. will happen in chronology of Revelation 9, happening just before the, the close of the first three and a half years. Interesting. Did you know that the creature, those 200 million that have come out, are the exact representation of the god Nergal? Uh, I actually talk about this in my in my new book, and I actually have pictures to go with it, because there was a uh, Kuduru stone that was found in the 1200s, and it has the exact uh, depiction of those 200 million Come wow. out. It's the god yeah. Nergal. It freaked me out. I'm like, yeah. you've got to be kidding at, <laughs> I've it's looked crazy. at pictures of imageries of Nergal. I've not seen yeah. all of that combination. I'd love to see a yeah. picture on that because that, yeah. that would make some sense because he would be one of those gods that would have come out of the abyss. Yeah. But of right? course, Nergal is just Ninurta, yep. right? He's the god of death. It's just Satan in another... Well, Another think variation. Of it, in my think of it, and also think of it this way as to one of the yeah. reasons why he would be coming out of the abyss. So Nergal is a lion god. A lion, a, yes. Yes. And eagle, yeah. Yes, and you have these warrior Nephilim-type creatures or Rephaim-type creatures called the lion men of Moab and Gad, mm -hmm. which goes mm -hmm. back to, you know, Ariel, um, which is basically, you know, uh, you know, Lion of God, Ariel, but they do have one in the occult side that would be a Lion God or a Lion uh -huh. Angel. So one wonders uh -huh. whether or not that might be some of the creatures and some of the Nephilim that he might have uh, yeah. you know, been part of his offspring. So anyways, just sort of, again, down a little bit different of a rabbit trail, but yeah, well, it's definitely a chimeric creature. It's yeah, a, definitely a chimeric creature. creature. Yeah. And a lot of these creatures that are described in, in, in the Joel 1 and 2 in Revelation 9, they could also be DNA-modified weapons of war, combination awesome. of technology awesome. yeah. and biology and creatures to create the ideal weapons of war like the unicorn mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be a very formidable weapon. You would not want to mess with yeah. that. Yeah. Well, this question is from Gary Allen. What makes us think that as Christians, we will even qualify for the mark of the beast? Surely we will only qualify for beheading. <laughs> um, that's a that's an excellent question, actually. Um, is, is Will it even be offered to Christians? Hmm. Well, uh, depending on how you understand chronology uh, for the last seven years, I mean, I look at you know, that word, you know, affliction uh, that Matthew likes to talk about, which is Greek, uh, and I'll probably butcher the word, but Philippies. And that's the word that's used for affliction or tribulation. And you get this tribulation that is going on in the first three and a half years. And you even have the Holy Spirit as uh, the Luke and Mark versions and the Holy Ghost versions offer the wisdom and the testimony that, that we're going to stand up for if we're still alive for that first tribulation uh, before Antichrist even comes to power. Mm. And so Christians are going to be enemies of the state, mm -hmm. whether or not it's in that first three and a half years, which also likely uh, which why I say whether or not it likely also begins before the last seven years, because you get this interesting little verse in Revelation 2 where you have 10 days of tribulation. Mm. And I wonder whether or not that's during the rise of Babylon and this empire where Christians are going through tri tribulation as well. So mm. we're going to be enemies of the state if we're still here. 
Interesting. I hope we're, I hope we're not, but I think we are. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so if, if I could, I would just offer a, a little thought on that. Um, just this is just a guess. Of course, I could be completely wrong, but my, my guess is that, you know, that as the as the tribulation really starts getting underway, I believe that Christians will begin to sort of find their faith. We will begin to find that mountain moving faith that we've been wondering, where is it? And as some people are martyred, there may be some cases of bringing people back from the dead. And I think yep. what the, the enemy is going to realize is that, look, we want to, because, and let me just preface this, with the two witnesses, what happens to them? The Antichrist or the beast kills them, but guess what? They come back to life. So you need to make sure that people stay dead. Yeah. And the best way to make sure they stay dead is to take their head off. Uh, certainly, then, certainly yeah. was with uh, giants. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you want to make sure that they're dead completely, and yeah. if they don't have a head, that it's pretty hard to come back. Yeah. That that's just my guess, but I, I yeah. think that could be. Well, uh, there, there, because you're starting to get an intercession of of, of God and angels in the last playout. They want to make sure that that body's not going to, you know, rise back up against them with some sort of healing power. So certainly going right. to be a part of it. So. Continuing with where I was, I was going to lead into then, if you have Please. that tribulation of the true saints, you're also going to have weak saints who mm -hmm. are going to go along with uh, what is being brought about in terms of, well, this, this kind of makes sense. And so they're not going to be resisting as much. Mm -hmm. But as they see more and more happen, they're going to say, hey, I think this probably is the end time, and I'm not going to take that mark. Mm. Now, what I think clearly happens is that um, those who do not accept the mark of the beast and or do not worship Satan and or Antichrist, because it's both, um, those are the ones who are not raptured. Whenever you think... The rapture happens. Those are not the ones, <laughs> okay, without right. getting in, 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 into that debate. <laughs> right. Um, so these are the ones that are going to be raised after the last seven years when Jesus reigns in the millennium because we're told they're raised and they're going to rule with them. So that's a separate sort of resurrection. So there's, there's a lot that are going to be starting to gain their faith and a renewed faith through uh, fire through the age of fire mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. are going to make their stand at that point in time. So I yep. think that's kind of sort of the, 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 the sort of distinction there and not to be confused with Ezekiel 37. That's a separate resurrection in, in, in my understanding. And that's got to deal, do with the second Exodus. And that is a resurrection uh, preparing for exodus of all of Israel to call come under the judge because you have to remember when the mark when the sign comes they're going to remember the people of Judah are going to remember the one that they pierced so they're going to become followers of Jesus and are going to uh, be accepted mm -hmm. and you're going to have lost Israel being awakened who are also going to mm -hmm. be exited with with uh, Judah around the world and to meet up with 
those who flew Judea uh, at the time of the abomination, that's who's going to be exited to be brought together and join that stick together. Uh, and I think to resolve that whole aspect, that resurrection of all of Israel, which are the dry bones, is that separate judgment that's going on for Israel so that the bride can be completed with the church and the saints for the supper of the lamb in Revelation 19. Hmm. Awesome. This is a question from Jimmy. Uh, he asks, what is the point of the recent UFO disclosures? Preparation, brainwashing. Okay. And it's all sort of part of that deception. So whoever the aliens are, they're not what we're being told and they're not coming from probably other universes or not universes galaxies would be a better way of stating that probably from another dimension just as the abyss is probably in another dimension just as heaven is in another dimension there's different dimensions i think they're coming through those portal accesses that the occult likes to talk about and so a lot of the alien mythos has them coming through the water or through different portals and i think that's how they're sort of trans transitioning maybe uh, you know that word uh, uh, travelers that comes out of uh, Ezekiel 39 uh, I'm trying to think of the Hebrew word is it uh, a bar I think it's a bar um, which means a crossing over just mm -hmm. as the Raphaim did uh, in the Ugaritic text um, I think that's going to be part of it but who are the aliens is the real thing and I think there's a combination I think there's a combination of angels um, being um, deceiving people as uh, as being uh, aliens. I think you have some of these other creations that they would have created um, because you have, I think, a larger Nephilim concept. So whether or not it's then just creating the Nephilim, you have all of these creatures like the elves and things like that, and the little people, and, you know, the elementals has four groups of little people that has one that's in the gnome category that looks identical to the gray aliens. And these are little fairies that come through portals, fairy mounds, domains, uh, and they're flying machines and they kidnap people for a fortnight. They do experimental things on them and then they return them. And the descriptions are identical to the gray aliens. And then you have salamanders, which are the fourth group which is kind of distinct from the first three, but they're the reptilians, just as the Nephilim have this rep, you know, um, reptilian connection. So I think you're gonna see these manufactured violations against creation <laughs> by the fallen angels representing these different species so that they can sell this delusion that you're part of this galactic table of rebels fighting for, for their freedom, just as you see in Star Wars. Well said. Well said. Um, I was just trying to get through some of the questions. Um, there's a lot of a lot of interesting comments. Uh, it looks like we can't get through them all. <laughs> well, I'm hoping we're saying a few controversial things that's raising some. Oh yes, of course. Yes, uh, absolutely. There's there's definitely some uh, some different uh, perspectives out there. Um, well, you know, this is this has been absolutely fascinating and. Um, I'd love to have you back. Uh, I, I think there's just so much that we can talk about. And um, it was really just a pleasure to have you on the show. We went a little over, but I wanted to get through uh, as many questions as we could. And uh, thank you. Again, thank you for your research. Thank you for your very cautioned scholarly approach. I, I, I Sadly, I think that has been lost in our day. I think we kind of go for sound bites. We go for whatever yep. our side is chanting and we keep 
you know, increasing the, the volume on that, but we have to go back and look at the facts. And here's the bottom line. None of us knows absolutely. We can, we can amass our data. We can put together the research and make, you know, our case, but we just have to walk humbly. And I really appreciate that and all that you've done. Well, I think we have to be respectful of other points of view. As mm -hmm. you said, you know, as, as human beings, we don't know, we don't have all the answers. We're all searching and trying to make sense of that. So we're not always going to agree 100% on everything. Right. And I also think we have to do, because we're talking about areas that are not necessarily the norms in terms of a lot of things that we talk about. So I think we have to be careful when we do this, so that we're trying to base it on measuring everything against what scripture says mm -hmm. and that everything that we're saying, we can back up in scripture and mm -hmm. it has that consistency because again, right. the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Right. So you have to be able to, to put those things together. And when you start doing that, you, you start to open, open doors to understanding you know, prophecy and scripture mm -hmm. in ways that maybe you weren't open to before, but caution and respect and critically analyzing um, all aspects of what you're researching or talking about, I think is very, very, very important because we want to get it right. We don't mm -hmm. want to be these, these, uh, and I, I don't want to use the, the term false prophet because I'm not a prophet, I'm a researcher. <laughs> um, but I don't want to mislead people, right. right? And so I want to give them things that um, they can look at or if they want more information on because they say, well, I'm not sure how you got there. You get a hold of me, I'll send you a document on yeah, you well said. Well, step-by-step scripture on that in terms of how I got there. Yeah, I'm not, something happened to your microphone. I'm not sure what happened. I, we got one last question. This is from Jimmy V. Uh, he says, what is the secret that Masons feel that they found? So what is the secret that they are sort of keeping on? You know, we, all, we know that it's a secret society and there's things that they won't share. But do you have a sense of what is the, the big secret that they're holding on to? Well, their secret is isn't what everybody knows that they believe that you know Satan, or as they like to call him Lucifer, as being the uh, equal to God. I mean, that's sort of well known. They've got several different levels above third degree uh, York Rite uh, standard uh, mysticism, or the equivalent. 33 degrees of the Scottish Rite split up 11 ways in the steps, but it's the same uh, mystical um, pyramid that's being built in terms of climbing up that knowledge. But they'll, ha they'll have in that old system of not just three, but some people say seven, some people say nine. I've heard as many as 13 different levels. So there's secrets upon secrets, and learning who uh, Satan is uh, in their belief system as being the great architect of the universe or Lucifer is one of those things and some of the secrets to reincarnation. You have to understand that that is only for those that have a spark of the divine that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Those who have that gene of the Isis and the bloodlines that they have the knowledge that they'll be able to in their belief system evolve into godhood but that godhood is always in the physical universe it's never mm. in the spiritual realm because mm. they don't have power over that so it's about creating new demigods 
the new Nephilim, because those were the gods of the mm -hmm. physical world as mm -hmm. the offspring and the representatives of the, of the fallen angels. And so that's the secrets that they're saying is how do we get there and how do we just not uh, fall asleep? How do we become like mm -hmm. our demigod uh, ancestors where mm -hmm. our spirits are still roaming that we have the ability to take another body and continue in, in this physical world? Those are the secrets that they're trying to convey for immortality in the physical world. Wow. Okay. That was amazing. Because, I mean, that's that's totally my conclusion when it comes to the Mark of the Beast, is that people are going to take this because they want to become a god. It's not so yes. they can scan out faster when they go to Walmart. You know, it's not so they can, Who even goes to Walmart? You know, you buy stuff yeah. online and it's shipped to your door. So you don't need a, an RFID chip here just to scan out two seconds faster. You need it, the the real motivation is to become a god. So I completely agree. I, I love your answer. And their two pillars are to become a god right. that you have to have are immortality and knowledge. Mm -hmm. So the mark of the beast is going to have to offer that godhood that's going to wow. offer extended life. And that's why it's going to be delivered through the healthcare system. As we talked about a little bit er earlier, just as the Davos meetings talked about about three years ago, that it's going mm -hmm. to be uh, the AI developed through the implants of the healthcare because people will want better healthcare, vaccines, whatever, and longer lives. And then that as being part of that development and e evolution in with emerging technologies like AI so that they're going to have access to this bank of knowledge, which is part of what they're also looking for in CERN, which is again coming out of the up and chads and to understand quantum mechanics. They say the <laughs> scientists do, you got to understand the up and chads because that's where you get the total understanding. And that's the Atma particle or the Atman particle. That is this particle that is invisible, but it sort of avatars with the uh, a standard particle and then with quantum entanglement sends all of that knowledge around the universe. That's what they're trying to tap into. Wow, the Atman. A-T-H-M-A and H-T-H-M-A-N. It's spelled both ways. Okay. I've, I've dabbled, you know, a fair amount in, in quantum physics. And so that's very, uh, very interesting. I'm gonna, that's the I'm particle gonna... they're looking for. Wow. <laughs> interesting stuff. Well, thank you again. It was truly a pleasure. Um, where can people find your stuff? Where can they find your book? So the best way to find my book and to get a hold of me is at one location. It's the, uh, my website, which is the Genesis sixconspiracy.com that's genesis six with the number six conspiracy.com and on that website you'll get a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters and so you'll get a good feel for whether or not the book's for you or not if you wanted a signed copy you can get that through the website uh, and just click on buy now and buy from author or you can click over once you're on that buy page to amazon.com barnesandnoble.com, amazon.ca, or over to the Kindle version. So that's okay. the easiest way to get access to the book. It is available elsewhere because it's distributed by bookmasters. So if you wanted to support a lo your local bookstore, they can order it in for you because it may not be on the smaller um, store shelves. Uh, and Or you can go to other online bookstores and they've got it as well. 
uh, on my website, you can also contact the author, which is me. And that email is basically the Genesis six conspiracy uh, at gmail.com. And that's the address that's attached to the website when you contact me. And uh, if you want to ask me a question or if you'd like to get a document on any of the stuff that I've been talking about today, because I think I got a document on pretty much everything that we've talked about today, um, just request it by subject because um, I make this offer on pretty much all every show I have and I have a lot of documents. So um, and I'll forget <laughs> yes. which documents I offered on yes. any particular show. You can also get right. a hold of me on Facebook under Gary Wayne or uh, through Messenger and contact me. And if, again, if you ask a question or ask for a document, I will get back to you and or on Twitter at Gary Wayne 63 at Gary Wayne 63. Very cool. Thank you again, Gary. And uh, everyone out there, God bless you. Stay in the word. God's word is the most important. Know that better than anything. Then you can start to get into these other exciting topics, but know the word. Exactly. Exactly. All right.